She's so Roswellian is what she is. He just stares at Max for a second and then runs in the other direction. You always wear gloves to do crime. Welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Lorena Rose. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Aliza Ora. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time, spoiler free. Today we're discussing season one, episode two, The Morning After. According to Google, this is the one where Liz and Max adjust to the bond developing between them. A suspicious substitute teacher has everyone on edge. This episode originally aired on the 13th of October, 1999, and was written by Jason K. Timms and directed by David Nutter. I also found out this week that we do not get all of the original music when we are watching on streaming or even on the original DVDs that were released. So if you are re-watching with us, having watched when the show was originally on, you might notice that some of the music was different. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that. I have the DVDs, but uh, perhaps those are still not accurate. You'd think they would be. Yeah, apparently it was because of uh, the rights that they negotiated when they recorded the show. They, for whatever reason, didn't think, hey, maybe we, may- we might want to like release this on tape someday. So they had to renegotiate when they were doing the DVDs, and I guess that's the music that made it onto the streaming series. Interesting. So like the last episode, this one opens with a very sappy voiceover from Liz, who will just never look at anything the same way again. And of course, this is because she is pining over Max, and she's wondering if he's also obsessed and tortured and going from one sleepless night to the next, which is, of course, why we get this beautiful pan to Max, who is sound asleep in bed. The cut to Max is a hilarious juxtaposition because she's like overthinking it. I mean, she literally writes like, what does he mean by I'll see you in school? And I'm like yelling at the TV being like, Liz, he means the next time he sees you will be in school. Like, he will see you in school. Like, what What do you mean? And then he obviously, you know, what is the complete opposite of overthinking things? Literally not being conscious at all. So he's yep. sleeping. <laughs> he is sound asleep. And then he gets woken up by this noise. And this is like, so far, I mean, we're only two episodes in. My favorite time in the series is just his face coming out of the shadows and i'm like are we in apocalypse now what is happening the horror movie shot it's so good it's so good um and then of course it's michael yes and i was just like oh wait i'm not sure if they're related or not but this was like very sexy and i was super into it and i think that was not intended by the showmakers but i was just like yes this is hot keep going please absolutely (laughs) Also, like, I thought they were trying to establish Max as, like, a romantic lead, yet they're showing us these shots of him as, like, a horror movie dude in the dark with, the, like, coming out of the dark. Very confusing. But yeah, Michael just shows up in his window. Like, it's it's romantic and sexy. A little booty call, perhaps. That's what I was hoping for. It's romantic, but it's also sad because it seems like this maybe happens a lot. Max has the sleeping bag ready to go. Yeah. Like, this is where we get a little bit more of this look into Michael's home life, which seems pretty terrible for him. Right. Like, it seems like this issue maybe could have waited till the morning. So maybe there was another reason that he came over. Yeah. In the books, they build up a lot more um, what a bad home life situation Michael has with bouncing around between different foster families and like just how shitty his situation is and um but that he doesn't even really care because he has his like found family in in his friends and in his fellow aliens oh that's Hmm. nice yeah yeah so michael also talks to max here about what will become the central driver for his uh plot line in this episode which is that they want to see the photo liz mentioned of the dead guy with the handprint, which like, I get the curiosity, but I also don't understand what they think is going to happen. Like, are they going to see the photo and be like, it's Dave's handprint. Dave is here. What's up, Dave? (laughs) Like, I don't know how this is going to help them. But it's also the start of something that I saw a lot during this episode, which was sort of like how Maria is like talked about a lot in the last episode. Like she's a silly little girl. 
they kind of talk about Michael like he's a silly little boy in this episode. And I think Max starts that here where he's like, well, we can't do anything about it because it's with the sheriff. Right, Michael? I was just like, you guys were going to get sexy, but now you're being all like big brother on him. Come on. Just killing the moment. Yeah, totally. And then we get our first glimpse into the opening credits. Yeah. Which I know I always like. I always used to love a new season of a TV show and you get to see all the new parts that you haven't seen yet and where are they going to come into play and our fantastic Dido song that I still love. Yeah, I wrote down this song is so melodramatic. This show is so melodramatic. Perfect match. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I had a question about uh, the post credit scene that we get where Maria is just like getting dressed at work in an area where a customer then walks into like if she's just in her bra in this what I assumed was the back area of the diner but then like a guy walks in I'm like what you doing baby why why are you naked at work what's what's this about what's going on I was very confused by that choice is she in like locker room I can't say that I caught that yeah, I did. Maybe it either. was another um, employee or like Liz's dad or something. No, it was like a customer. Maybe it's like that's where the bathrooms are. You know how some restaurants you have to like go through the back to the bathroom. Yeah, maybe she could have put her clothes on in the bathroom. <laughs> right. So like if that's where the bathroom is and customers have to go through there, don't undress there. Yeah. Don't get changed out of your school clothes. I don't know how I didn't notice that. Good eye, Lisa. <laughs> Well, I just thought it was crappy because I was like, all right, in the first episode, we see uh, Liz in her bra. And I was like, fine, whatever. And then this episode, I was just like, why are you just showing us teenage girls bras for no reason? Because that's what makes good TV in 1999. Underage girls. Yeah, because now they do. Now they don't do that at all. (laughs) You know, in 1999, (laughs) they did it. Now they don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go on record as saying I don't want to see underage girls in their underwear. Fair. Um, this is also the first time when Maria, uh, yeah, Maria comes up with this very brilliant code <laughs> where when this customer walks into the area where Maria was just half naked, uh, she, Maria's saying something about aliens and Liz is like, bro, let's not use that word. And Maria's like, great. I know. We'll call them Czechoslovakians. It's Czechoslovakians. Because that's normal and all. Also, I yeah. think it's funny that like Maria is overly paranoid but Liz is overly calm that I think a normal reaction would be somewhere in the middle of those two. Yeah, Liz is just like, aliens, cool. Yes. But that's why they're best friends. Yeah, it's true. They balance each other out. Um, did anyone else notice that Alex can't say Czechoslovakians? He says, like, Czechlo- he's like, Czechoslovakian. He's like, Who- what? Who's-, who's a Czechoslovakian? Every time he says it. I mean, to be fair, it wasn't a country for most of the time that they existed on this earth. So yeah. not a word he would have been using in regular everyday conversation. <laughs> Although isn't he the one who says, like, that's a country that hasn't existed for 10 years. Why do you keep yeah. talking about Czechoslovakians? Yeah. He's the one who <laughs> points out, like, hey, dummies, this is not a thing. You are very terrible at staying undercover. Uh, So also we have Maria saying about the Czechoslovakians, for all we know, they don't have their passport, which boo, I hate it. And I'm glad that the new series that's on right now is addressing the parallels to immigration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like this series is going to get into that. So I'm glad they're doing it with reboot. Yeah. Considering that people literally call humans from other places aliens. Aliens. Yeah. 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 We also find out Maria maybe doesn't know how to tell time because she says Czechoslovakian <laughs> nine o'clock while looking at Michael, who is directly in front of her. This is not how clocks also, work. What is up with Michael just creepily staring <laughs> into the window of the crash down for no reason? He just literally is just. Yeah, I can't yeah. even. I just I have in my notes. I wrote, LOL. Did Michael have to creepily here into the window yes well it sets up the theme of this episode which is everyone is spying on everyone and they're all very very bad at it yeah true yes (laughs) i feel like michael is doing the most bad spying but yes (laughs) oh yeah oh by far yeah so then we go to school where there's a vampire Ah! or a darla oh my god or a julie benz (laughs) 
as anyone listening to this podcast knows, we are all fans of Buffy mm-hmm. and this uh, substitute teacher in this next scene at school, Miss Topolsky, was a very important vampire in Buffy and Angel named Darla. And interestingly, Roswell premiered the day after Angel premiered on the WB. Oh. So Julie Benz, who plays Darla, was in between doing Buffy and doing Angel when Roswell was airing. Cool. And I mean, I think any of us who watched more than one WB series in the late 90s can attest to the fact that all of those people were just on all of the shows. Like, if you weren't a lead on a show, you were probably playing a supporting role on multiple shows, or you got your leading role because you had already played, like, a one-off character on a couple of other shows. Yep, they all, like, networked. Yeah, I mean, it was just a bunch of beautiful people getting shared around to all the different shows. Yes. (laughs) Because, yeah, as we discussed, high school is just a place where you go to look at gorgeous white all day although in this episode liz gets a black friend yay and i was like okay i have to find out her name because i don't want to just refer to her as liz's black friend so i looked on the internet and she is referred to as liz's african-american friend (gasps) yay but actually in this episode we get two black people wow so much diversity So I feel like in this episode, like the network got or someone gave a note that said like, hey, you guys need more diversity. And then everyone involved in the show did zero research about what Roswell, New Mexico is actually like. And so they didn't put any Latino people in it. They were just like, oh, let's get some black extras and we'll throw them in there. We'll give one of them a couple lines that like don't really add anything. But like, we'll just show, hey, we're on board the diversity train without doing any actual work. Yay. Great. Well, and the funny thing is, like, so about half of Roswell's population identifies as Hispanic or Latinx. Two and a half percent of the population at this time was Black or African American. So it's weird that, like, all of a sudden there are these Black kids going to live school, but there's still just no one who is clearly of Hispanic or Latinx descent. Maria, of course, is, but it's not. It's true. Maria's Latina. Or it hasn't been mentioned yet. Yeah. They haven't said where Maria's from. The actress, Mahandra Delfino, is Venezuelan. And she is white presenting. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Which is not at all to take away from the fact that she speaks Spanish and is Latina. No. Right. But you could see the show and not realize. Yeah, absolutely don't want to like imply that you can't be Latina if we can't see it. So thank you for that. So then um, Ms. Topolsky, like all substitute teachers, she starts interrogating some of her students about the whereabouts of their classmates. Just just the norm. Well, first she insults their city. So she starts by saying the infamous Roswell, New Mexico, and then jokingly asking if anyone believes in aliens, like, hey, you're all a bunch of little small town dupes. You must be so dumb. Haha, welcome. But also if she's a substitute teacher, as she claims to be, Where is she from that she is surprised to be finding herself in Roswell, has never been to Roswell? Like, isn't she probably from Roswell or a neighboring city? Yeah. Yeah. So this, when, Eliza, you mentioned the interrogation of the students, this is like very bad guy behavior. No substitute teacher is this interested in the whereabouts of one particular student. Absolutely not. Who doesn't like geometry, which she agrees is pretty uninspiring stuff. She's not winning Teacher of the Year awards here. And as we'll see later, she is excellent at math. <laughs> so. So good. But what pisses me off the most about all of this is when Max and Liz are in the hallway afterward and he totally gaslights her. She's like, huh, like what What was with her, you know, questioning you about that? Oh, she was just taking attendance. You're, you're worrying for no reason. And I didn't like that. Well, I think. I think he was maybe just trying to get her not to panic because he thought it would be worse if she panicked. I also, I don't think this is what was happening in the episode, but like even later when she's talking about like, oh, I don't know if he even likes me. I was like, okay, so in the pilot, uh, he saves her life. Very nice. Liz steals his cells and examines them without his permission. And then when he shares his secret with her, she demands to know more and threatens that if he doesn't tell her everything, she's going to hand him over to the sheriff after he has already told her that doing so could possibly endanger his life. 
So, like, if he had reflected on that and been like, you know what, actually, I'm good on this, I would have been very understanding. It's not the direction that they go. But in the early scenes, I was like, oh, maybe he's just like, hmm, hey, that actually wasn't really cool. Maybe I don't really want to be around this girl that I saved. <laughs> like, maybe it's actually none of your business. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he Fair. doesn't have do to tell that. her everything. Like, I think, yeah, in the last episode, I also, I think I talked about, like, the parallels to coming out narratives. And I feel like this was her essentially being like, you have to tell me everything about who you are and, like, where you're from and what you're into or else. I'm like, no, that should be something that someone tells you because they want to and because they trust you and not because you're going to get them sent to, like, a government facility if they don't do what you want. Yeah. Fair. I didn't really think about it like that. Um, so speaking of going to a government facility, the sheriff strolls into work and there's just like a very handsome dude waiting for him. And I wish that this happened when I walked into work. There's just like a nice guy in a suit just waiting on me like, hey, just like, don't don't mind me. I'm just I'm just chilling here. Just go about your business. Yeah, I'm just going to hang out being handsome in this corner. Don't worry about yeah. it. Deputy Hansen says that the guy has been sitting there since 7 a.m., so I assume Deputy Hansen has been there at least since 7 a.m. Later in the episode, we know that it's after 7.30 p.m., and Deputy Hansen is still there. So if he's working more than 12-hour shifts every day, I 100% understand why he is just like, I, yep, sit where you want, I really don't care. Yes. Can I care about this job? We are understaffed. I don't care. (laughs) Nope. He's still there, and what he seems to be doing at night, I'm pretty sure what he's carrying is, um, like, extra paper towels. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's yes. reloading the paper towels in the bathrooms, which, like, shouldn't be for him to do. Yeah, he's doing custodial things. Yeah. Poor guy yeah. seems overworked, if you ask me. <laughs> yes, his job makes zero sense. No. <laughs> like i am a police officer or a sheriff deputy or something but i also am the custodial i also am the receptionist and i just work 24 7 yeah he better be getting a ton of overtime for this um so we go back in and we have liz and maria at school discussing what darla really is and i of course wrote she is a vampire that is her secret that's why she was avoiding direct light in the classroom. She's so Roswellian yep. is what she is. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> the way every teenager talks. I thought there were a lot of great lines in this scene. Oh yeah, Maria, no one is who they say they are. Exactly, like that it's one. Like, oh, you're a teenager. And Liz saying, go sniff some cedar oil, Maria. Okay, that actually really annoyed <laughs> me because the script supervisor should have caught that it's cypress oil that she's sniffing Ooh. in the pilot. Well, maybe she wants Ooh. cedar oil now. Maybe she doesn't want cypress oil anymore. Liz is her best <laughs> friend. Maybe that has a different effect. Yeah, maybe, maybe Liz knows. Maybe, yeah. maybe Liz knows <laughs> yeah. that the cedar oil is what she needs right now. Right. This is like your ornery, you need cedar oil. When you're stressed, you need cypress. <laughs> Maybe. So this is where they start talking about Topolsky being a spy, which uh, I hope she is because otherwise she's just very terrible at her job. Yes. How did she even get certified as a substitute teacher? <laughs> yeah, she has not met any requirements. And we also get to see the weird thing that Alex can do with his arms. He's terrifyingly double-jointed. I love it. I love it a lot. And doesn't understand why it doesn't get him all the ladies. Yeah. They all just walk away from him at the end, and he's like, what? So now I'm a freak? And they're all like, yes, yes, goodbye. Fare thee well, sir. (laughs) It seems like a weird idea to tell Alex based on this. He's not very subtle. All he wants to do is draw attention to himself. So trusting him with a secret of this magnitude seems like a poor choice. I assume he's going to find out at some point because he is a principal in this show. But I question that decision. In the book series, they tell him in the very beginning. They they tell him right away. And then the six of them, the three aliens mm-hmm. and the three people all form an, like a power circle together. And each of their auras is a color of the rainbow. And they're all like connected forever. <laughs> and their auras make n- noises oh that God. are different. What? different levels and then it all sounds like music together it's very dramatic that's magical does it turn into a pornographic story at that point (laughs) no then they just all go back to school oh okay great (laughs) naturally um 
back to the weird arm thing for a sec. Uh, I do wonder like how that got put in there, whether it was Colin Hanks being like, you know, on set doing this thing. And then someone would be like, hey, cool. Yeah. How can we work this in? I think that would be really good for Alex's <laughs> character. Or if like they were like, oh, what's something nerdy Alex could do? And he's like, oh, how about this? Oh, I could do this thing. Like, I just wonder because it's like, you know, they couldn't just write it into the script if Colin Hanks couldn't do it. It had, you know, it was something right. to do with the fact that Colin yeah. Hanks could do this yeah. weird thing. I feel like probably it was like, hey, what's a weird thing you can do that's going to make you look weird? And he's like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. I really want to believe that they went through like 10 different variations of things first, where he was like, I can roll my <laughs> tongue. I can do this with my ears. I can like think my eyes like this. And they were like, all right, no, next, next. And he was just standing there like doing handstands, doing cartwheels, and finally doing the like, worm. that one. Yes, that's the weirdest one. Do it. This is what I want to <laughs> believe the set of Roswell was like. It was just Colin yeah. Hanks doing weird stuff for an afternoon. While the writers like all it. looked on and gave him scores. I want to see the outtakes. Yes. Did I tell you guys about his uh, bandana company called Hank's Kerchiefs? <laughs> yes. No, but I saw it on the internet and I'm so excited and I want them all. I love it already. I want one in every color. <laughs> so I think he's very clear that they're not bandanas. I know. I just like didn't want to call them kerchiefs like the until I said Hank's Kerchiefs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like Hank's kerchiefs. It's not a bandana. And Aliza's like, so bandanas. I know. He's like, they are <laughs> kerchiefs. Because I disagree with him. I think they have multiple names. It's a regional thing. Whatever. Yeah, I think he just wants them to be fancy. I don't know. Uh, so this episode also solidified my distaste for Liz. And part of that comes from this yeah. scene with Kyle. He has this whole thing that he's rehearsed this little speech or at least talked about it with one of his football player friends. Like he's been really thinking this through and he wants her to know that he understands things were casual, but he really cares about her and she's special. And she's like, bye, gonna go chase a pretty blonde teacher. See you later. Boop. And I felt so sad for him. And he also ends up uh, in this scene standing by a poster that I feel like is very 1999 high school that says, live with care. Life has no spare. And I like to think that that's what he was contemplating as Liz was being terrible to him, that he was just like, all right, this is the only life I get. I need to do something better with it than chase after this girl who is being awful to me. Yeah, he was like, he was being so awesome and communicating his feelings and his needs directly to her. And she's like, just ghosting him. She's like trying to avoid him. If you're not into him, tell him. Yeah, right. Like, just be honest. Poor Kyle. Yeah. I mean, he's a little lukewarm. I really feel like I'm going to end up hating him later. (laughs) Yes, correct. But he doesn't deserve this. No. And he does something later in the episode that I'm like, oh, buddy, no, buddy. But for right now, I'm just like, oh, poor baby. Yeah. But Liz has to leave him so that she can go chase down Topolsky and see that she's carrying around. Bum, bum, bum. Michael's file. Oh, (gasps) my goodness. Why would a geometry teacher have Michael's file? There are zero reasons for this that make any sense other than she's a government spy alien hunter. Um, Liz decides she has to tell Michael about this, which is great. So she goes to the trailer park. And I don't know if you guys noticed or thought anything <laughs> of it. Yep. The name of the trailer park is the Old Chisholm Trail, which I was like, this has to be a thing. So I looked it up because looking things up is my very favorite hobby in the whole entire world and uh so the old chisholm trail was a real trail that people used in the old west but more importantly it's a cowboy song dating to the 1870s that has been recorded by a bunch of artists including roy rogers and bing crosby and uh some of the lyrics are on a ten dollar horse and a forty dollar saddle started out punching them longhorn cattle Kamataya yippee yippee yay yippee yay Kamataya yippee yippee yay It is amazing and that's where Michael lives and I like to imagine that they play that song every night at sundown uh, There's a Randy Travis version that I was playing in my house and my partner from the other room yelled Why are you listening to Randy Travis? And I was like, why do you recognize Randy Travis's voice? You learn something <laughs> new every day So there's a glimpse into my home life So something else that I noticed about that sign to the trailer park is that, yes, it says like Chisholm Trail Park, whatever. And then it says trailer park in really big letters. 
I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I've ever seen a trailer park that is labeled as such in very big letters. Yeah. They're not usually called trailer park. It's usually like Chisholm Trail Village. Yeah. Right, Chisholm or like Trail RV community. Park. Yeah, or mobile Mo- community. Mobile home park you see sometimes. I, yeah, I don't know. I also haven't been to a lot of them, though. I've seen so lots. who knows? I did do a search to find out if this was possible. Uh, and there are at least six mobile home parks currently operating in Roswell. And I mean, not to stereotype about people who live in those places, but I think it's implied mm-hmm. that Michael lives there because his family is not very well off. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. And I did discover that in the year 2000, about 22% of Roswell's population lived below the poverty line. And about 31% of kids under the age of 18 lived below the poverty line, which is a huge bummer. And that's, yeah, like a third of the child population of Roswell. That's a large percentage, yeah. It is. I wonder, like, what percentage of them are on, like, free and reduced lunch. Yeah, it would be really cool if we got to see Michael like going through that at school because yeah. I have never interacted with teenagers who are, were not really, really mean. And one of the things they like to make fun of is your socioeconomic status. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen the show. I don't know if it comes up, but so far it hasn't. I think it would be an interesting thing to explore. Uh, the sheriff is very angry. He has an angry phone call where he gets hung up on. He wants to talk to, we assume, the boss of the guy who is in his office. And so this is where we get the big reveal that he has this file uh, that includes the photo Liz saw of the corpse with silver handprint from 1959, and that there is a key in this file that the sheriff is hiding. I also thought it was interesting that the file was located in the W to X drawer, and I have decided that is because it's an X file. It's an X file. (laughs) 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 Either that or he filed it under, whoa, aliens. I do like it being filed under, whoa, aliens, more than it being an X file. So then when Michael comes in with his whole candy thing, I gotta say I was impressed by his whole like thing he did with his whole like strongly recommending the peanut clusters. Uh, that was cute. And his speech about about the children. It was a well thought out plan. Good job. Okay, so I had a question. Is the Westlake Orphanage, do we think that this was a real thing in Roswell? And is it where Michael lived before he went guess. to foster care? Mm, or is it, it just like something it he made probably up? probably is. Okay. It probably is a real thing if he's like naming my, it. My assumption was that it was probably yeah. where he was placed. Because I would think, so like it seems like everyone in the town kind of knows everyone. And if a kid walked in and was like, I'm trying to reopen the orphanage where I lived as a child, I would not be like, ma'am, no thanks. I'd be like, oh my god, yeah, 25 boxes of peanut clusters, yes. This is so sweet. Please let me help. That's not the reception that he gets, which is very unfortunate. At the Evans house, uh, Isabel does some amazing facial expressions in this scene. And she just, like, she's very concerned about the dates that she's going on. And I like that she gets to be a normal teenage girl for a minute here, where she's just like, hey, there's a cute guy, and I want to go out with him, and I can't do that if I am running from the law. So, like, slightly less normal teenage girl, but still a valid concern. Yeah, and and. I have a question about this. So she has a date tonight and next Friday. Did she make two date plans with the same guy before even going on one of the dates? Or is she dating two guys? And either way, like, good on her. Yeah, I assume she was dating two. But maybe she's just like, well, obviously he's going to be super into me. So our second date will be next Friday. Yes. Either way, like, good on her. Yes. And wearing leopard print, which is... uh, my favorite print is leopard yes. print. <laughs> Which I love when the mom is like, you look pretty. I'm like, good try, mom. Good try. That was almost convincing. What she should be saying is, you look smoking hot. Go have fun on your date. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if my mom had ever said that to me, I probably would have moved well, on immediately. Yes. So <laughs> glad we didn't get that. <laughs> But like, I, yeah, I don't remember going on dates like that in high school. That seems very grown up. We did like group hangs and then private hangs. And then I had a boyfriend. There wasn't like a get dressed up and go out on a date. It was like, oh, we would like go to Wendy's. <laughs> I did zero of those things in high school. Yeah, I didn't go on dates at all in high school. But I also didn't 
look like or exude the confidence of Same. Isabel. Same. So <laughs> I don't think anyone does. Unless you're Katherine Heigl. Well, she was she was 21. Jason Bear, who plays Max, was 26. Michael was 22. I looked this up because in that first scene, I was like, this is really sexy. Wait, I can't think that about them if they were underage. They were not. Everyone in the show was over 20. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not creepy. I thought that uh, Majandra Delfino was an emancipated minor when they started filming, that she was still 17. Oh. Oh, was she? When, oh yeah, when it when the first season aired, she was eighteen. So yeah, I didn't care about her as much because I am not attracted to her. But yes, she was eighteen. Uh, Colin Hanks was twenty two. William Sadler, who plays Sheriff Valenti, was forty nine. So we are all safe there. <laughs> we can think he is as hot okay, as we great. want to. Great, great. Can keep objectifying him. Oh yeah, awesome. it's coming. So, um, do you guys watch Grey's Anatomy? I do no. not. Tell us your story anyway, Elisa. Okay. <laughs> because it's a it's maybe it's a Grey's Anatomy spoiler, but the second that the parents walked in, I had I was very triggered, no pun intended, because the guy who plays the dad um was in a very iconic episode, may have been like a to be continued two episode thing Ooh. um where he shot up the hospital i mean he shot and he killed some people it was like oh, no. a very serious thing and so he walked in and i was like <gasps> no uh, but no i guess he's just, just their, a nice he's dad. Just dad in this right for now well the lady yeah. who plays the mom was in the goonies so i think she can balance him out i haven't seen that oh. movie in forever i knew i'd seen her in other things after the evans house we learn that Sapolsky has no idea how triangles work. And I don't understand how she is a substitute teacher, but I also don't understand how she is a grown-up person. Meh. This makes me angry. Yeah, quite ridiculous. Yeah. And I like Liz's correction, which is, uh, it's a triangle, you know? How triangles work? It's a triangle. Yeah, triangles and circles are the same thing, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all shapes. Maybe she was... Was Tony Hawk's pro skater out then? Maybe she was just playing too much of that and she was like, I gotta nail this 360, guys. That must be it. Yeah, playing too much Tony Hawk. Yeah, that's what Darla does in her off time. During the daytime when she can't go out in the sunlight. <laughs> exactly. Yes, canon. <laughs> Done. Uh, we, we get more of Max being a jerk. He's just talking smack about his friend, telling Liz that she can't tell him things because... He acts on them. He doesn't go over their options. And like, it's, ugh, it's just so offensive. And I want Michael and Maria to get together and talk about how no one gives them any respect and just like form their own little friend group where they get things done. Yeah. Or like people just talk down to them and don't take them seriously. Yeah. Also, Liz is using very interesting <laughs> uh, lexicon, like very interesting vocabulary in mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. because or in this episode you know and she gets called out in the previous scene when she's like we mustn't or like you yes. know whatever and then she said it behooves us like yes are you a, i'm sorry are you a, a high school student or like a harvard professor who are you i think she's got a word of the day dictionary from one of her parents and is <laughs> yeah. just doing her darndest <laughs> yes behooves must be the word of the day they're talking in the hallway and there is no one else around. Yet despite that that fact, they are like acting like they are being watched and they're like not facing each other and they're like, you know, I just they're act their body language is super weird this whole scene. They won't face each other the whole time they're talking. Or they're acting like it would be easier to shoot this scene if we both just face in the same direction so we can get our <laughs> coverage and we can all go home. Yeah. That too. So Max is dismissive of Liz, but he gets a little bit more suspicious when he sees the sheriff shaking hands with Darla, which wouldn't make sense if she is a substitute teacher and also wouldn't make sense if she is a guidance counselor. Uh, (laughs) They are standing outside of the attendance and counseling office. And I really enjoyed the set decorator who put the student athlete of the month, Kyle Valenti's (laughs) photo directly behind 
uh, or over Max's shoulder in this scene. I loved that a lot. I noticed that as well. <laughs> yeah, it was a great shot when Max turns around. <laughs> uh, uh, adorable. And then so Max, I guess, decides this is a crisis. And the only thing that one can do about a crisis is invite a girl to a hot makeout spot. To the eraser room. (laughs) So then when Maria and Liz are in the bathroom talking about the eraser room, I notice Maria's outfit. And I just want to say that, like, while I often question Maria's style, I do love how gender bendy it is. That, like, I feel like last time we saw her, she was in this, like, grungy look with that sleeveless thing, like, the vesty thing with the hood and the middle pocket, like a sweatshirt. And now she's all femme with a glittery tube top and a lip gloss. And I love it. I love, like, how varying her style can get. I also love, cool. I just love Maria in this yeah. whole scene. Because, you know what eraser rooms are for? They're for two things. Cleaning erasers and taking our innocence. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that dialogue, but I also feel like when she then follows it up with the eraser room has taken some of the best of us. And I don't love the implications that has about like womanly quote unquote virtue and agency, but whatever. It was 1999 and I give her room to grow and develop as a person. And she also gets to tell Liz something that I wish anyone ever had a chance to tell me, which is. The guy touched you and you saw into his soul. (laughs) Um, But Liz talks to her in a way that makes it clear that she told Maria the other things that happened at the cafe where they had this connection. Um, And it got me thinking about the handprint. So like Max left the handprint when he did the molecular thing on her, but he didn't leave the handprints when he touched her face to just mind meld. I assume Isabel isn't also just leaving silver handprints on all the tacos that she's heating up. So I wonder if there is a reason for that beyond just this looks cool. Let's do it. Those are excellent questions. Guess you'll have to keep watching. Mm -hmm. But I just also like why on earth does Liz still think he's not interested in her? Yes. Very oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be like, Liz, go back and watch the end of the last episode where he tells you he's totally into you but you can't be together because you're too different. And it seems like he's just trying to protect you. You dummy. Yeah, I thought he made that pretty clear. So then when when we're in the sheriff's office and the FBI guys are coming in and they're taking all the stuff. Yeah. I, I kind of felt like, why why would they be taking all the UFO stuff? Because like he's it's not like he's been a big UFO nut being like a big pain in their asses like his dad was. Like he just started to believe. Well, I think it's because they found evidence. They found that the dress had a bullet right. hole, which they're not telling him. So they come in and right. the guy's like, no aliens are currently residing in Roswell, New Mexico. And I was really hoping that we would get a quick cut to the three aliens just like sitting there <laughs> bebopping in their car or something. That would have been a great cut. We did not. But then like his whole thing is like, there are no aliens. No, It doesn't make any sense for anyone to look into UFOs. By the way, give me all of your information about aliens and UFOs so that I could look them. I mean, destroy them. Right. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So I think that the uh, I think the sheriff is onto something there. Yeah, it also doesn't make sense that the FBI would go to the governor to get permission to search a sheriff's office. None of this is okay. That's just not a thing. I think they're all just trusting that 16 year old us is in 1999 would have thought that that <laughs> made perfect sense. Yeah, okay. Whatever. So they're basically doing, they're like, hi, this is nonsense. None of it is real. But also we are paying several of our top guys to just come over here and load boxes into their cars. Because again, this isn't a thing. The FBI in this is clearly not very competent because this is a great way to let someone know that you are doing the opposite of what you are saying. Subterfuge does not seem to be anyone's strong suit. Also, I know it would mess up the whole plot line of the rest of this episode, but I also don't understand why Valenti hid the key in his thermos and didn't like just put it on his key ring where it would like blend in with the rest of his keys. I mean, obviously, Michael wouldn't be able to find it if that was the case, but just seems like a ridiculous right. hiding spot. Right. Like, Take it home, buddy. Take it to your house and yeah. put it in a safe. That seems like the thing you would do, not like, I'm going to pretend yeah. it's my chicken yeah. noodle soup. 
whatever. But we do get a really fun shot of the sheriff through Michael's binoculars when Michael is in plain sight outside of the sheriff's office. Being a great spy. But the bar is really low. Uh, this is also where we find out that the eraser room is an actual place where you clean erasers. Is this a thing? Did you guys have this at your schools? I don't think no. so, but it does look like it's a real thing. Like, this looks like it is actually a researched out thing. There's that fancy little, like, vacuum thing that he's, like, rubbing the yeah. erasers on to, like, suck the dust out of them. Yeah, it's interesting. I also don't understand why a room that students have access to would have a lock on the inside of the door. And also a magical window into a staff person's yes. office. And, like... <laughs> This has been like maybe half a day that Max has been on to Topolsky. And in that time, he found out where her office was, learned her schedule so he would know what periods she had, and then devised this plan that he and Liz would like skip two full periods of the day each to go sit and see if she shows up. Right. They don't have class. I don't know. He was like, we'll be here a while. Yeah. Max is just very efficient. He just found out all this information and put it into practice immediately. Um, we get a little itty bitty shot of Michael eating something with hot sauce because I guess we can't have an we episode where they don't eat things with hot sauce because otherwise, True. why would the name of our podcast be Pass the Hot Sauce? Yeah. That's our jingle, guys. I just made it up right now. Great. Although I will say in the books, they have also done combinations such as soft serve ice cream and mustard. Nope. And mm-hmm. um, mouthwash and... What? Something sweet. I don't remember what. Wait, like they is seem there a to just like is not food. They seem to just like weird flavor combinations in the book. Like they've simplified it to just hot sauce for the TV show. Thank goodness. And in the show, they got a sponsorship <laughs> By Tabasco. from Tabasco. <laughs> Uh, thank goodness it wasn't Listerine, because I do not want to watch yeah. a bunch of teenagers yeah. getting drunk off of mouthwash by putting it in their soft drinks. Yeah, I think that would be irresponsible. <sighs> Back to the eraser room, Max finally has a sense of humor when he's like, oh, yeah, just the third eye. And he, like, starts to roll up his pant leg or something. And he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. just kidding. <laughs> he was funny in the first episode, too. He made that little joke about, uh, like, oh, I prefer the term not from this earth or whatever. Oh, sure, sure. And then she just, like, stares at him. So, like, Liz clearly has no sense of humor. Max is carrying this I mean, this they're whole both thing. kind of cardboard sometimes, uh, so. Yeah, I, so I, like, yes. as you know, I haven't seen the show, but because I love doing research more than anything, I have seen a lot of the, like, fan ideas about it, and everyone's like, oh my god, Max and Liz have the best chemistry ever, and I don't know what show they're watching, but it's not the one I'm watching. Maybe it grows. I mean, this is the second episode. You know, I just hate her. I also hate her a lot, because (laughs) she starts talking to Max, the literal alien who has told her that being visible would endanger his life and the lives of the people she loves most. And she's like, my life is so hard. I live in a small town and everyone knows me and I can just never be invisible ever. And he's like, are you freaking kidding me right now? But he's much nicer about it than I would have been because she's such a jerk. And like, I know she's just immature and she's a teenager and she can't really think outside of her own experience, but this just seems supremely insensitive. Not a fan. Yeah. She's not very sensitive to other people's feelings, especially the guys in her life. She's just in her own little world. Really? Not cool. Not cool. We get the setup here for Topolsky going to Michael's trailer, uh, where she weirdly misuses this phrase. She said, but if Muhammad doesn't come to the mountain, which is not, that's not the saying. That's not it at all. I looked it up because I was kind of like, what? the hell is she talking about so the saying is if the mountain will not come to muhammad then muhammad must go to the mountain and it's basically about like accepting that if you can't get your way then you deal with the circumstances you're dealt and that is the opposite of both what she says and how she intends it and i don't understand what's happening here well so i looked it up because the way she said it it like sounded almost islamophobic to me because she's like you know, maybe a a government spy and, you know, going after someone in hiding. And I like it sounded like she was calling him Muhammad and was like, it just sounded like, huh. So I was like, what is the origin of this? So I found it out and it comes from a Turkish proverb retold by Sir Francis Bacon. And like you said, it actually goes, if the mountain will not come to Muhammad, Muhammad must go to the mountain. 
And yeah, basically saying if one cannot get one's own way, one must bow to the inevitable. So yeah, she totally used it wrong. Well, luckily, Michael's not at home because he is trying to convince Max to break into the sheriff's office. We're just setting up the surveillance, guys. This is the whole theme of this whole episode is just the surveillance. But Liz goes to the diner, and I think Eliza has something to say about that scene. Yeah, so um, I felt inspired by <laughs> this ignorant line of Maria's because this man with uh, really great mutton chops orders... <laughs> um orders what sounds really excellent this this great dish well actually no he has already ordered it and he's been waiting 20 minutes for his hot fudge blast off which means his ice cream is going to be melted right for ice cream that's such a quick order to fill yes um and maria you know made a hateful ignorant comment fat phobic comment about like does he really need you know those calories so i felt inspired by this ignorant on maria's part to write a little jingle that i like to share with everyone because whether this man or really anyone else needs a hot fudge blast off is really no one else's business but theirs and maria does not deserve a tip from that guy and frankly um his hot fudge blast off should be comped if you ask me So nothing excuses Maria's fat phobia, but the reason that this guy might not have gotten his order in so long is that she is shorthanded because Liz, once again, has dumped her responsibilities on someone else because she thinks she has more important things to do than work at her family's restaurant and help her family make money. Right. And help her friend not be overwhelmed. Yep. Totally. Yeah. And I do think that guy was being kind of (laughs) rude. Like, I've been waiting 20 minutes. You know, like, it it seems pretty clear that they are, you know, pretty busy. Um, but rude or not. Right. It's 20 minutes for ice cream. Like, ice cream seems like, I don't know, I don't work in the food industry, but it seems like one of those things that should be quick. Like, you don't have to cook anything. Yeah. You scoop it, you squirt the hot fudge, you're done. Unless the yep. blast off part of it is like a ham sandwich. I don't know. Or maybe it's like yeah. you got to bake the brownie in the cast iron skillet before you put the ice cream on it like which like isn't good planning on their part because the brownies should already be baked i think yep so the point of this scene is that liz's family doesn't know how to run a diner efficiently and that maria's overworked it's also very clearly it's a clearly a different set from the pilot which i think happens a lot but i like this set they have the fun little outdoor seating area that we see later it's really cute i've been to that set Oh, you've been to that set. That's I have. Awesome. It was on main. It was like Ooh. on the main street of Covina in Southern California. Like it was an actual restaurant that they built that big facade, like that big spaceship on the front and all the glowing lights and stuff. And you would like walk down the street and see it any day of the week. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's so cool. So this is where Alex finally is like, hey, dummies, Czechoslovakia isn't a country anymore what are you doing? And I hate this so much because the cover story is just cramps. It's girl problems and boys are so disgusted by girls that they'll just automatically stop asking us any questions. (laughs) I know, like, give Alex some credit. I mean, to be fair, I have found this to be a pretty accurate way to get guys to leave you alone. Yep. Yeah, accurate, just distasteful. So, Elisa, if you feel like writing a misogyny jingle... This could be a fun place for that. I'm on it. Women's party. Ew, ew, ew. Women's party. What to do? Women's party. Gonna spew misogyny. So since Liz is just whatevering, just abandoning all of her responsibilities, she's like, you know what would be a fun thing to do? Let's go do some surveillance because that's the theme of this episode. Let's all just spy on each other. And Kyle is like, well, I don't want to be left out. I'm going to stalk you. So this is where Kyle took the turn for me where I was like, oh, buddy, no, this isn't what we do. 
But can I say something even even before that, when uh, Max was talking to Michael on the street and and I think Michael's response to don't do anything stupid is the best or not the best, the worst, actually, but most hilarious response anyone could ever have. He just stares at Max for a second and then <laughs> runs in the other direction. <laughs> It's like, okay. Okay, Michael. I mean, I feel like if Max were that condescending to me, I might also be like, yo, whatever, bye. Uh, yeah. I do yep. what I want. I loved it. So, yeah. um, Kyle. I love Kyle so far, but why are you following? Don't follow. <laughs> he's also so bad at following them. He is directly behind them. Yes. Less than a parling. And he's in a Mustang. Like, how did he buy a Mustang? How well does Sheriff pay? Because geez Louise, man. Right. It's a fancy car to take to follow around an old army Jeep that Max owns for some reason. Uh, so this is one of my favorite exchanges, even though I think it's really problematic where Liz drops her ring and bends over Max and Kyle. Kyle, his first reaction is really cute, where he's like, what are you doing, Liz? Get up, Liz! Just, like, to himself, and I think it's adorable. Some roadhead confusion. Then he goes to confront her, which I'm like, hey, you know what? If Liz is blowing this guy in front of their friend's house... That's her business. That's her business. And then we get, like, this... I feel like this was a teen cliche, too, of the, like, why are you whispering? Why are you whispering? Why are we all whispering? (laughs) So we have that scene. So we check that box. And Liz cannot think of a single thing to say that they might be doing. Max has to jump in and save her with, like, oh, we're bowling. Like, Liz is such a bad liar that she can't think of an activity for humans to do. And, yeah, Topolsky is just there by herself looking into this which seems unsafe and irresponsible and also again totally not her job yeah to go alone at night to a questionable home but guidance counselors go to people's houses all the time right sure like they make house calls guidance counselors do that and they also um take over for teachers who are absent they substitute And also, in addition to being terrible at lying, Liz is terrible at hiding. She makes no effort to duck. Like, Max ducks. Even Kyle is like, I understand and can read social cues. I will duck, too. Liz is just standing there staring like, hey. Liz goes up. (laughs) It's not only only like, like, Max ducks. Kyle reads the situation and ducks. Liz raises up <laughs> to see, like, did she see us? What? Oh, the she hell? did. <laughs> yeah, you're in an open air vehicle, honey. She definitely saw you. So then Michael decides to get serious. He goes back to visit his old nemesis, the window with bars on it. He's been staring this thing down all episode. I'm really excited for them to consummate their relationship in whatever way. That happens for them. There's also like a bunch of different things where like the sheriff is driving by. And again, Michael is not hiding. And I don't understand, first of all, why the sheriff is driving back and forth so much. And also how he doesn't see Michael. (sighs) Upsetting. But first, when Liz and Max first got back and Isabel pops up out of nowhere. And and she says, Michael is AWOL. But I think what she meant is Michael is Spider-Man. Because it cuts to it cuts to Michael like you know, climbing a pipe. He's like scaling a pipe yeah. that like, I don't know how. So I was wondering if this is an alien power or if he's just like very agile. I know. I was thinking the same thing. He really looked like Spider-Man to me. But then they also say he can't control his powers, which I'm really confused by. And we see this when he kind of hurts himself melting the window. But like hmm. Max can control his powers. Isabel can control her powers. Are they just not sharing their secrets with him? Do they not all get together or- and practice? Or it, it leads me to think that it has something to do with, like, mental and emotional stability. Yeah, mm. I was thinking of the same. That, no. like, he's emotionally unhinged, so his powers flare up weirdly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just wanted him to get a watcher to, like, train him. Oh, yeah, we should call the Watcher's so Council. We're in the wrong not, because the council is trash. Yeah. Bummer. So he does figure it out, though, and gets inside. And I was so proud of him because he is wearing latex gloves to do crime. I said the same thing. And this is amazing. You always wear gloves to do crime. I Like, he had forethought. I was like, great job, buddy. Great job. I wrote that. I wrote, I think he's smarter than they give him credit for. Yes. Stop making fun of him. 
And his plan with the chocolates was very well thought out as yes, well. Like he go, didn't Michael. just like go wandering in there. Like he had yeah, a clear thought out plan. He had a plan. Isabel has another moment for our misogyny jangle where she's like, uh, my car broke down. I don't know how cars work. Can you help me be strong, man? <laughs> and like she I'm even so puts her hair mechanical. down. Yeah, she takes her hair out of the braid and puts it down and like sticks her jacket over the shoulder and she's doing this whole hair toss thing. And I was just like, to these Ugh. like older men. I know you're doing this because it works, but like, ew, stop. No, stop. So here's what I don't understand. They don't hear the big blast that, like, breaks open the window. They don't hear Michael literally fall mm-hmm. into the second floor from the window. They don't hear Max join him inside. Mm-hmm. But when he touches the key, they hear him. <laughs> Well, he falls out of his chair onto the floor. But there's already floor. been, like, multiple fallings happening. I know. Like, and they... Yeah, no, it's stupid. So they also don't hear at the end of the scene when Max and Michael yes. jump into a dumpster with an extremely loud noise. They don't yes. hear it. And it seems like it's implied that, like, because the sheriff is opening the blinds at the same time and these things happen at the same yes. volume... It's- it doesn't make sense. It's there's very yeah. The treatment. sheriff was standing right there. Like, yep. of course he would have heard it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even with the bars across the window, you'd be able to sort of like peer out and down and see what the noise was. Like, but I was so when Michael touches the key and he gets this like premonition or like this like uh flash. whatever flash. I was trying to figure out like what what that reminded me of. Was it? Did you guys watch Charmed? Was it Prue? I did not watch Charmed. I think it was the only WB show I didn't watch. Nobody. I know one of them like could touch things and get premonitions. Mm -hmm. Producer's note. Phoebe had premonitions. Phoebe. Thank you, Mandy. (laughs) For those of you who have yet to meet Mandy, Mandy is our amazing producer and sound editor who we love so much. And you will occasionally hear from when we need her like moments like this one like when we don't know pop culture references so it was phoebe i knew i knew there was someone in charmed who like would touch things and get premonitions so this is a clear sign that michael is special and we should treat him with a little bit more respect gang all right yes that was i can do that too you probably can't hear it uh so we also there's like this weird thing between Valenti and Isabel where he's telling her that she's out past curfew. And this made me mad for a variety of reasons, most of which are like social justice related and have to do with how problematic curfews are and how they target children who are like generally of minority races or ethnicities. But also what time is it? So like curfews generally go into effect sometimes, but sometime between 10 p.m. and midnight. So like when Michael's first watching the sheriff's office, it definitely seems to be after school, but it's still light out. We know Valenti goes home at 7.30 p.m. and he's come back for something that he's forgotten. But then it's also time for a curfew for kids. Like, how much time has elapsed? How long did this all take? It doesn't make any sense. And I don't like it. Continuity issues. There are a few. <laughs> yes. Time does not work properly. Hansen never goes home. He just lives at the station. And no one understands how time works. And Isabel gives us a wonderful 1999 moment where we discover that, again, Michael is special when Max and Isabel get the key and they can't flash on it. But Isabel pretends to because Ricky she wants Martin to think about Martin in the shower. <laughs> yeah, it's not a joke that has aged super well. But it definitely brought me back to that special moment when we were all watching Live in La Vida Loca on TRL. I saw Ricky Martin in Evita on Broadway. He was pretty decent. Really? I had no idea. One of my favorite memes years ago involved Ricky Martin. It said something about like, people say that that gay people like shouldn't be parents. But if that were true, then why do Ricky Martin's kids have such great hair? (laughs) Do they all have Michael hair? Some nice spiky, spiky spikes. Uh, no. <laughs> better. Oh, better. better. How is that possible? I know. Can you imagine? I, I, I really even know can't. his name now. You don't just call him spiky hair guy. Oh, anymore. no. In this episode, I was like, who is this handsome devil? I will <laughs> learn his name. He was definitely my favorite in 1999. 
He's so good. And then he also gets Max to acknowledge that Max maybe doesn't know what life is like for him. And that, like, Max is living in his isolated, perfect, nice, happy existence. And, like, Michael has this other crappy life, and it doesn't seem like they've really had, like, a good talk about this before, which seems weird considering they're 16, but, like, okay, that's fine. Um, And then Michael gets to use this adorable nickname for Max, and he calls it Maximilian. And that's when I started writing my slash fic about them. (laughs) (laughs) But Michael's still, uh, of course, in danger from Topolsky, who finally acknowledges that she's not a substitute teacher. But the explanation is that she's the new guidance counselor. And like Liz seems to accept this, at least for now. But it makes zero sense. Because like, why wouldn't they have introduced her as the counselor in the first place? Why would she be subbing in geometry? Why doesn't she know basic principles of, you know, how triangles work? Why was she talking to the sheriff? None of this makes any sense. No. Yeah. I mean, she says it as if that's supposed to answer everything. Like, oh, you're a guidance counselor. So that's why you were teaching And that's math. why you were showing up at people's homes yes. late no, at night. Like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. But it does get Liz thinking about secrets. Um, it also gets us this amazing expression from the actor who plays Kyle. who just looks like he is going to stare literal daggers into her heart. Like, he's finally decided he's had enough, she's not worth it, and he's just gonna mean mug her now. As we and it gets us a beautifully awkward uh, family montage of basketball. So weird. Why are they all hugging each other so much? I don't like it. I don't want to hug people after being sweaty playing basketball in the desert. That's a terrible idea. And Michael, again, is just standing in plain view creepily watching his friends and their family at like the Evans family wholesome family fun basketball hour why don't they invite him to things they know his life is terrible why don't they just like have him over although I guess when they did try to invite him for dinner he peaced out and made up a dumb excuse that his dad was cooking which I can't imagine anyone would have actually bought but their parents did seem pretty like it seemed not that genuine of an invite they seemed pretty like uncomfortable around him that's true. Maybe they also just look down on him and think he's like yeah. the no good neck friend. Yeah, I don't know. And then Liz closes out by saying she's the smallest of small town girls with the simplest of lives, even though like she was just complaining that she was too visible and people knew her too much. Now she's just like, I'm so boring. But now even I have a secret. And I just hate <laughs> her a lot. Sorry, guys. Don't be sorry. She sucks. My favorite characters are not Liz, okay, great. so you don't have to be sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of favorite characters, who's y'all's choice for hot and saucy this episode? I think it's clear who mine is. Uh, it's obviously Michael, especially in that scene between him and Max at the beginning, but only if we find out that they are not relatives or whatever the alien equivalent of blood is. Um, can I can I choose the same person again? Yes. Do we get to we don't have a no repeats rule? No, it's a small cast. Okay. No, go for it. Okay. Cool. Um, I mean, I have to choose Katherine Heigl and Leopard Print. <laughs> yeah, fair. I'm actually gonna choose the sheriff. Ooh. Ooh. I thought he was kind of not for hot necessarily, but for <laughs> saucy. Like I thought he was kind of sassy, and the first time was when he kicked out the hot FBI guy when yeah. he said, "I'm gonna ask you to please get up and leave and take your folding chair." That with was you. very saucy. <laughs> yes, and it was yeah. like, "Ooh, you tell you tell him," and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and when and when the other guy came in and he said, "Oh, you know." It was just, what do you say, tomatoes and sugar and salt and water and vinegar. You know, he's like, it's just ketchup, Sheriff. Um, yeah, and when the sheriff was like, well, I think you did find something, because otherwise you wouldn't be taking my stuff. It's like, I thought he stood up for himself and kind of questioned people and stuff this episode. And like, good for you, Sheriff. Yeah, right on. So I thought he was saucy and sassy. And like I said, he's 49, so it's totally not creepy <laughs> for us to think he's hot. thumbs up guys (laughs) so my prediction based on my hot and saucy pick is that the reason lisa's prediction the reason michael flashed on the key and they didn't is that he is the most important one because he comes from a society where they are all like the social hierarchy is based on hair quality and michael obviously wins (laughs) 
And Isabel is like his second in command because her hair is really good. Although, like, it's a little, it does that weird, like, fluffy thing that people were doing in the 90s in this I episode. I don't like that's that. That's not her yes. fault. That's just it's the 90s. It's not my favorite. It's the styling. No, okay, that yeah. was her fault. Totally her fault. Don't brush curly hair when it's dry. I mean, I feel that as a curly hair haver. Yeah, and you don't brush it when it's dry. No, you don't brush it ever. I also think she loses points for associating with Max and those freaking bangs that just yes. sit on his the forehead. Bangs. I want to brush them. them to one side or the other. Don't have right. them spread out like that, like little spider legs. I feel like legs. that was very 90s too, though. Like Alex has more or less the exact same hair. Yeah, Like awful. there was the weird, awkward spider yeah. bangs yeah, or there was like beautiful, spiky skater boy hair. There was like no in between. Yeah. It's like yes. it's either spiky up or it's spiky <laughs> down. Oh, yes. My other prediction is either that Topolsky, like there's more to her story than it seems. She is really a secret agent or alien hunter or the writing on the show is actually worse than I thought. And they want us to believe the guidance counselor story. I'm really hoping it's yeah. the former. Maybe she's just a guidance counselor. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. And I also predict that Maria and Michael will get together and be like, we are no one's wacky sidekicks. And hopefully they'll form a band because Mahandra Delfino, <laughs> who plays Maria, actually sings in real life. And I want to see her sing. I like these predictions. She's a good singer. And I assume Michael can like play bass. Yeah. Or maybe lead guitar. Or maybe she plays lead guitar. Yeah, I see her like doing lead guitar and vocals and him just kind of standing in the background, nodding and like gently fingering the bass, just kind of mm-hmm. staring off into nowhere. I would watch that. I would watch the hell out of that. I also really want Isabel and Maria to get together, but I don't think this is that kind of show. Because I feel like they would balance each other out really well. I like all of these predictions and wishes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if we're doing Elisa's wishes section, it's Max and Michael hook up, Isabel and Maria hook up, Alex and Liz just go off in a corner somewhere and continue annoying me. And then, like, Kyle gets with, like, the cute black girl, maybe, or some other character we haven't met yet, and he gets to be yeah, happy. Someone and, like, who appreciates right, him. Right. Be in a relationship with someone who can talk about their feelings and show up on time to date. Word. Yes. Great. Another episode of Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. Thanks for joining us for our discussion of Season 1, Episode 2, The Morning After. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss Episode 3, Monsters. And don't forget to check our feed next Tuesday for a mini-sode about the Roswell incident. We'll continue talking about the real-life history. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying our show, please give us a rating or leave a review. You can find us online at roswellhotsauce.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at roswellhotsauce. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Mandy Veloso. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, remember... No aliens are currently residing in Roswell, New Mexico.